0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from gloomy, rainy Portland. It is rainy again. It's sad, it was so nice last week. It was. And our special guest today is John Leiter. 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 I should have asked, I'm sorry. He's the the, leader of Beautify. The
1: the German pronunciation is Leiter, so you're not incorrect. That's, That's what I was going off of, yeah. But uh, yes, John Leder, um coming from Fort Worth, Texas. Go
2: Cowboys! Hey folks, do you love keeping track of what's going on in the VIEW community? Maybe you're a little overwhelmed with all the new stuff. Well, don't be. Come join us at VIEW Remote Conf. VIEW Remote Conf is going to be a three-day online conference. We're actually going to have a fourth day the day before where we watch our favorite videos from VIEW conferences over the last year. We'll also have talks from our favorite guests from around the VIEW community, as well as our panelists from the VIEWs on VIEW podcast. So if you're out there looking for great view content that'll help you stay current with your web development skills, then come check us out at viewremoteconf.com. That's viewremoteconf.com.
1: I'm actually not a sports fan. I'm more of, I, I like eSports more so, but... Oh, that explains the chair. Okay, I'm going to about that. <laughs> actually, I'm in trouble. I actually have another chair that I got for my birthday last year, four months ago, that I haven't put together yet because I've been busy, is what I keep saying, but yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's a cool little now, now, now I'm curious, what's your uh, favorite esport?
1: Well, when I was still in the military and I was stationed at uh, Fort Bliss, Texas, or Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas, I um, played League of Legends because uh, California was where the server was located. So it was really low paying. I guess I kind of got a little bit competitive into it. But after that, I don't think I did anything super competitive. I think I played Team Fortress 2. Was that is that what it's called? Yeah, Team Fortress 2. Yeah, Team Fortress 2. Yeah, I played that. When I was a kid, I did like I tried to do some competition stuff, but I'd always just get to a point where I would just get angry and I would stop playing. So <laughs> which is actually consequently why programming is so interesting, because it is the one thing I have not been able to burn myself out on. It's a very interesting proposition for someone like me who, you know, I'm very fixated person. I have ADD and OCD and all these, you know, as you might expect for how much I work on Beautify. But um, I haven't been able to burn myself out with programming, which is why it's been my passion for literally since the when I got out of the military.
0: Nice. You mentioned a little bit about Beautify. Would you mind introducing yourself for those who don't know who you are by name at this Absolutely. point?
1: So again, yeah, my name is uh, John Leader. I'm the uh, original author of Beautify. Beautify is a component library for Vue. So if you've used a Bootstrap or Foundation or Semantic UI, you could kind of consider those blocks of HTML that they give you to be able to create and use their components or use their features are components just single in in Beautify, whereas instead of having, you know, three or four divs with some classes that you have to assign, you would just say, you know, V dash text field, and you've got a text field in the Beautify style. So the thing that it helps users actually do, though, is no design skills required is kind of what we always say. Whenever I started, actually, I'll get into that bit later, but (laughs) basically, it's it gives you all the tools to if Vue, which is a, if, you, if they don't know what Vue is, I'm sure you probably do listening to here, but Vue Angular React, right? Vue is a, a JavaScript framework and Vuetify uses Vue as if it were essentially blueprints in the structure for a house. And Vuetify is kind of the, the decor and the decoration, except you don't have to uh, figure out what decor to get you just have to figure out where you want to put it. Um, it's something that's very popular with backend developers who don't want to worry about designing things, but they can get you data all day long. So it's a set of tools to help enable uh, developers of all walks to be able to create you know, applications, whether it be web apps or mobile apps, Electron apps, due to the vastness of the Vue ecosystem, we have a lot of areas in which we're able to support uh, users, uh, Nuxt, Gridsome, are good examples as well. So it basically means that when you come into the Vue ecosystem, you have a product that is not only uh, really high quality, but it is a little bit different than your traditional UI frameworks in that I actually started this to quit my job, whereas a lot of people start those projects for fun, but end up turning them into a way to get a job somewhere. And As far as I'm aware, with the exception of, I guess, companies maybe, we're the only, or one of the only open source frameworks in which the author is working full time. I think that that gives us kind of a a unique advantage in the aspects of we can provide things that generally users don't expect to get in a UI framework, like Bootstrap. For example, if you, if you need to get support with Bootstrap, whether it be for you as a single developer or as part of a company, uh, you, you would have to probably find some sort of agency that particularly specialized in, in whatever you're looking for. Whereas in VueDify, we have a very large aspect on community and a very uh, rich jobs uh, a communication structure between jobs and in our Discord server. To kind of help developers be able to feel comfortable in, in, in the ecosystem, that when they come into Beautify, they know okay, there's jobs based around it. There is uh, weekly updates. There are uh, long-term support, security disclosure plans. You know, actual business support that's available from the author, and the kind of the comfort of knowing that. Not only are they getting this completely free, I love that part. I love doing free stuff because I think it's absolutely humbling that something that I thought up would help someone. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a long-winded version, but it's a piece of software that just makes it really easy uh, to create web applications, whether you're good at design or not. So
3: let's talk a little bit about what it's based on. So I don't think you mentioned this, but it's based on Google's material design in terms of yeah. its color palettes, correct? Curious to see the logic in going with that. Is it just like a favorite paradigm of yours or, or what was the reason for going with material design?
1: Well, I guess kind of in order to answer that, it might be a little easier to start from the beginning and just kind of run through how everything has started since 2016. Go for it. Okay, absolutely. So. I spent six years in the infantry, in the army, and when I got out in 2013, I kind of had to start a new profession. I had injuries from combat, and I probably wouldn't have done my job in the uh, civilian sector anyways, because I, I merely did the, the infantry because I wanted to do something different because I had been, as I would say, a computer nerd my whole life. Anyways, when I got out, I kind of had to start over, and I had always considered becoming just a regular computer programmer making video games and whatnot, because I like the idea of being able to kind of put together something that maybe I would enjoy to play because maybe I have kind of a, I do have kind of a picky attitude when it comes to, to video games. And I think that that in itself kind of led me to the point where I started to do lots and lots of research on what it would take to become it. And apparently that jobs market is terrible. Like they treat their developers really bad. They're, they're like workhorses, like crunch is so terrible. And, you know, I had a son, I was married. I, I really wasn't interested in, you know, the military already consumed uh, a lot of time whenever I was in it because of, you know, deployments and, you know, a lot of work because of training. And I really wasn't interested in, you know, I'm a worker bee and I like to work, but I wasn't particularly interested in having to crunch at a at an office For long periods of time, and uh, I started looking into web development. One of uh, my friends from high school, she uh, had a small agency named Furry Logic. They just did regular web development, and kind of asked, you know, hey, would there be a possibility if I could, you know, intern or um, do something to start the process of, you know, eventually working as a web developer? And at the time, this was late 2013 i started going to to school for computer programming and business management Uh, long story short they obviously at some point we we ended up working out i think i started on may 1st of 2014 and started working in php originally and started out as a back-end developer i up until recently, had never had a design bone in my body. It just it it didn't click for me, you know. So the back end was where I kind of naturally gravitated to. And plus, while jQuery, you know, was great and served a purpose in in the timeline, man, I, I butchered it. <laughs> it wasn't good at all. So I, I definitely try to stay in the back end. Through time, I kind of uh, started trying to take our processes and 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 figuring out ways that I could make them more efficient. It's kind of like the the problem-solving aspect is very exciting to me. And eventually, I ended up moving on to a company in Orlando, Florida, named Fast Forward Academy that I worked at for, I think, a little over three years. Honestly, one of the best companies I've ever worked for. It was an amazing experience, and it was actually very difficult in the end when I ended up leaving there to start uh, Beautify full-time. But Actually, how that ended up happening was very interesting because so I had worked at Fast Forward for, I believe it was like my one year uh, anniversary because I think that I started working there in like May, June timeframe. And June of 2016 is whenever I started Beautify. So it was right around my review time, or the review maybe was finished. And uh, afterwards, I was talking to the CEO, uh, Rain Hughes, and I asked him, you know, what are some ways that I could, you know, improve ways that he felt that I could get better. And he told me, he said, said, you're really good at using things that other people have made, but you're not really good at making your own things. So I was like, okay, (laughs) that's fair enough. And um, I uh, kind of set out to shore that up because I, I had always... Funnily enough, I had always wanted to make a PHP framework because fast forward, we also worked in PHP as well. It was generally the same stack that I worked at at Furry Logic, but it was, you know, kind of an opportunity for me to, you know, I I love getting better. I I think that one of my biggest strengths is that I don't think that I'm better than anyone else. And I take in all the feedback that I can get so that we can all just get better. Yeah, I started working on, um, some projects with Vue, I guess I skipped the part where I said I started kind of messing around with Vue in early, I think it was like alpha 0.13. So I, I forget when that was, but just happened to stumble into it because I came across Laravel and Laravel, Taylor Otwell uh, works with or has an affiliate with Laracasts, which is Jeffrey Way. And they happened to have a video that came out that was specific for Vue. And it was kind of like, hey, they found this project, it was really cool. And uh, they kind of wanted to do a small video on it. And I had tried to learn Angular and I couldn't, I spent like three days trying to get a navigation link to light up. And I was like, I'm, I'm not smart enough for this. Yeah, Angular
3: JS is pretty hard. I've been there too, so.
1: And this was like the first, like the very first one. So this is, yeah, this is probably in 2014 or early 2015, something like that. But. I just happened to, you know, I'd used CodeIgniter. I stumbled across uh, Laravel, sorry, then came to Laravel, and then came into Vue, and I was like, wow, you know, this is perfect <laughs> for someone like me. Like, I can understand this. It makes sense to me. Here's a method, here's my data, and then I'm just using HTML. It was like the the perfect, the perfect combination. But anyway, so that's how I ended up getting started in Vue. Flash forward back to I'm at Fastforward Academy working on beautify uh, At the time, I was doing some consulting as a, a secondary job per se, and I found myself doing the same things over and over again. In, in I think I was using Bootstrap, and I eventually came across Materialize CSS. I think was the the last framework that I used, and I, I really liked it. And those were, you know, they're good frameworks, but I kept felt I felt like I just had to keep doing the same thing. Like I need a sidebar, I need a navigation drawer and I want the content to resize. And I'm like, why is this so difficult? So I was like, well, I need something to help me prototype because I didn't know how to design and I was stubborn and didn't really care to learn Photoshop or anything like that. So I was like, I'll just I'd rather, you know, type it out and, and kind of be able to visually see it and play with it as opposed to move it around in a in a in a photo editing program, which is obviously not as efficient. But anyways, I'd worked on it for, uh, you know, a little bit. And the, I think it was View 2 was announced at, was it Laracon or something like that? I had actually, it's deprecated now, but I actually made a package of Vue materials, which was, it, use, it uses a materialized CSS, but wrapped in View. That was actually the first kind of, I guess, framework that I had put together and I was like, well, I could either expand on, you know, what they offer. So that means I have to maintain and keep up with whatever they do. Similar to Vue Bootstrap, another framework in the Vue community that uses Bootstrap. Like they can make their own components, obviously, but if they make their own components, they're stepping away from something maybe because I don't even think Bootstrap has a designated specification, and that's what prompted me to use Material Design because Google spent all this money and gathered up all kinds of smart people from around the world and said, hey, this is user interface that will promote you know, good application flow or you know, w- whatever uh, the terminology is. So why not just use what they've taken, plug in the numbers, and then have something that is already designed? I don't have to think about it. And I, I was working on it, and I think it was quarter, end of quarter three, and of uh, 2016, one of my colleagues, Sean McCart, he happened to see me um, poking around at it on my work computer. And he said, "Hey, what's that?" And I said, "Oh, it's uh, kind of like a little prototyping thing that I've been putting together." He Said, "Wow, it looks really good. Are you gonna, you know, open source that as well?" Because I had the view materials already open sourced, and I was like, "I really wasn't thinking about it." And he said, "Well, you should, you should try." So that's basically the only reason why Beautify uh, even exists is because I happened to ask the CEO for some professional feedback and a colleague happened to walk by at the right time and and convinced me that I should open source something that I was working on. Released it December 14th, 2016. I was at SeaWorld. (laughs) It was my day off. And I think, I don't remember what that, maybe it was a Saturday or something like that. But yeah, I launched it at SeaWorld. And I remember just looking at the Google Analytics and we, I think it had like, you know, 25 people on the site <laughs> and I was freaking out. It was pretty funny. And then the first day, I think it was over December 22nd, excuse me, December 14th to about December 19th, had a really large spike of users. And then after Christmas, as it does every single year anyways, but everything just kind of died down. But more exponentially so because, you know, Beautify was brand new, just came out. There was already a material design framework that was available for Vue, and that is Vue Material, no S. But I, again, I'm stubborn, and I didn't really like the way that he did things, and I was just like, well, I just want to do it my way, (laughs) which is uh, often the case for how I start projects, but obviously I I run it by the team, and they tell me how wrong I am. Anyways, it it died out, and then January, February, I think it was – you know, a couple users here and there, I think maybe a thousand users a week or something, I don't know. And I was like, well, I can create a chat room. You know, I grew up on IRC, QuakeNet, you know, playing Quake World Team Fortress, uh, original Quake, stuff like that. I I was really accustomed to like kind of gamer chat rooms. And I was like, well, I found this service called uh, Gitter or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) I really don't like the name, but it's a chat service that hooks up with GitHub and it allows you, know, you to communicate with people and it makes, it makes it easy for users that are at GitHub to be able to come and talk with you. And honestly, I was like, well, I can have all these people come in here and ask questions and you know report bugs. They're going to report the bugs that are wrong with the framework that I'm building and I get to learn and get better because people are reporting the bugs and I get to learn how to fix them. You know. And that's honestly what started the whole community and why I believe it's so large is because it was a, a centric focus on helping people. One of the biggest hurdles for me as a developer was when I got to a point where it was, I kind of call it a black hole, where you can't find information on what you're trying to solve. The resources that you have available to you aren't working as, as you would like them to. Maybe your, your Google search just isn't getting it right and you don't know what to do. And typically, whenever you're using an open source project, which nowadays, I don't think there's anybody that's not using some open source, whether it's build or in their actual application. So I mean open source is a very, very, very large aspect in the uh, rapid progression over the past you know couple years of of JavaScript, also because of the you know, Xmascript board and those specifications. But with open source, you try to you know get a hold of the developer. well, hopefully they have a process for getting a hold of them and you just create an issue or hope they get back to you and obviously it's open source so they're going to get back to you on, on their time which is acceptable obviously right they're dedicating their time to do something for free this is for most people not something that they make money off of so they dedicate the time when they have it or when they want to which is okay but i personally uh, you know i've on the computer a lot spent most of my life on the computer playing games or you know programming now and i was like well i can just again just sit here and get better over time, make the framework better, you know, pull people in to help out, which is honestly why Beautify is what it is now. I mean, yes, I'm the author, but to say that, you know, I am responsible for the continued success of Beautify, I guess, to an extent, but I kind of consider myself the glue, just holding together a bunch of really smart people and trying to Find ways to help motivate and, and and get feedback on progressing the framework over the years, and so that we keep having a you know quality product for people, but also one that if people get stuck on something, it's not it's not the end of the world. You have multiple avenues of of support, whether it be free support, more chat support, or actual like a business support plan or something like that you have options available and even if you don't use them it's just the concept of having them available which says okay if this situation does arise it is an option it's available to us and i've always kind of approached that aspect of trying to create something that enables people that are not good at design or you know not even good at development which is honestly what i considered myself at the time for sure it just made it uh, easier to 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 progress and actually make something, even if that thing looked, you know, not good. And, you know, shadows are messed up or the colors are messed up, but just the fact that it took, you know, just a couple elements and you were able to, you know, take a thought that you had and, and put it on paper was uh, pretty good. But I'll just go ahead and stop there for a second, give you guys a, an opportunity to talk. But that's kind of what led up until the eventual me quitting my job in 2017 to do this full-time, but we can talk about that, obviously, in a minute.
3: So you're using, obviously, you, you explained why you're using the material design. That makes mm-hmm. sense. You liked it. It worked for you. Now, I know you mentioned jQuery and, and mm-hmm. how you butchered jQuery in your development days. Join the club. I started from a PHP background as well and, mm-hmm. and you know, using some jQuery so like Bootstrap, obviously, at least the older versions relied on jQuery. What other dependencies does Beautify have from a structural standpoint other than Vue itself and material design? Are there any other, I'm sure there's dependencies. Are there any other underlying libraries such as Bootstrap? No. Are you just using core CSS? I know you're using Flexbox. I think it's based on Flexbox, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, or Grid or any of those
1: other things. So what, what's your underlying structure? So we have an absolutely zero dependencies policy for the framework. Yes, we have build dependencies because that's just something you can't avoid. I'm not going to create a transpiler. But as far as everything else, I don't know if you remember the left pad debacle where NPM like... The internet got broken. Yeah. NPM gave away a package from the left pad guy and he said, all right, screw you, and unpublish this package and the internet broke. Yeah, I was like, absolutely never going to happen. And in fact, it's... One of the things that has, I think, given us such quality components is that mindset. But yeah, we have zero dependencies whatsoever. I mean, I guess you could call, I don't know if you'd call polyfills a dependency. We, we do use a lot of the native browser browser APIs like the Intersection Observer API. And then either they have a polyfill for IE11 or we just fall back to the default functionality. But yeah, other than that, nope, no dependencies in the package JSON file. I know
3: that you know, just from my daily use, you and I were talking prior to the show about how I've been using Beautify every day, <laughs> at least from a work standpoint for about a year. Mm-hmm. And so I know maybe you can talk about some of the things you add on top of your standard form elements. So in particular one that I've used quite a lot is a combo box component where you can have uh, you can force it to be a single value or multiple value. you can use chips, you can use text, mm-hmm. you can use cards. So obviously you've taken, there's a lot of combination of individual elements to comprise a more complex element. So that's the one I know best. What Mm -hmm. other ones come to your mind off the top
1: of your head? Even though, um, so for anyone that's not particularly familiar with kind of, uh, I guess, a killer app feature for version three is its uh, composition API that you can opt into, uh, which for us as a framework developer is amazing because we already use render functions. But everything that we create right now, even though it's not using a composition API is developed as such. We utilize mixins, which is something that Evan's getting rid of, I think probably because us. And <laughs> the mixins are essentially shared functionality. And if you could think about, if you best, a good way to visualize that would be extending a class essentially but you can extend multiple ones. You can even see based on the naming terminology because uh, I really liked Taylor Otwell, how he named his service providers. So like everything in the mixins is like, it is a suffix with a a B L E. So it's, you know, elevatable or menuable or iteratable or something like that. And everything that we build is comprised of those core elements. So in reality, you know, you described well. You've got this combo box that you know, can do single, multiple chips. It's got all this kind of built-in functionality, and it's a lot. and And the reason why, because you know, if 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 you go to beautifyjs.com and just look at some of our components, like our API for each one is um, very, very, very expansive. In fact, it's so expansive that it's caused us to have to rethink how we're going to do those in version three. Because it's becoming too much. So, anyways, everything for Combo Box derives from a baseline V input component, right? So it was one that we had public for a while, but we took down because you know we really didn't like it and it wasn't. It was causing more headache than <laughs> we wanted to deal with. But the there's a baseline input file which is you know as you would expect if you have a regular input element. In HTML, you know, you can have various types. What we do as opposed to having a standard input, and then you would say, you know, type equals whatever type, whether it's combo box or autocomplete, or well, I guess with regular input it'd be text or number or date or something like that. But instead of that, we actually just have regular components that extend off of base functionality. So to break that down, v input is provides a couple of HTML containers that put out a standard structure. So all the inputs use the standardized structure so that they can have a, you know, prepended outer icon and a prepended inner icon and an upended inner icon, etc. so on and so forth. So we have the ability to, to take all of these kind of boilerplate element generation and then use it for multiple components. And the the biggest reason why was, well, from a testing perspective, we can test the input component, and we know that if there is a bug in, let's say, the select component, or actually, we'll just say text field because it's an immediate child, then we know that that bug is derived from an issue that's happening in the text field component, not the input component. So it makes it a lot easier to narrow down problems and also makes it easier from a maintenance standpoint. To combine with that, we use the, the mix-ins as uh, talked about. And again, so not only do we extend these components, and I'll dive into that just a little bit in a second, but then we also use this kind of shared functionality called mix-ins, where it's just little, if you could think of it, just little snippets of functionality. Like for example, the elevation mix-in provides classes for elevation and a couple default props, and that's it. And it also follows the same concept that I was discussing with vInput in regards to its kind of a a baseline, very focused functionality. It has one job and it does it very, very well. And then you take vTextField. vTextField itself is extended from input and uh, it has all the features that are available to it from the default props to validation, but then it adds its its own uh, specific functionality in regards to well, instead of just having an input, it's got a, it's an input that's text, and then it has you know specific styling associated to it, and additional functionality like it supports a counter or it supports messages or something along those lines. And that's how everything is built. So it goes literally: v input, v text field, v select, v autocomplete, v combo box, right? And they are all derived from this core baseline functionality, and then they expand upon that with each kind of tier up. So yeah, it's basically when you ask me you know what comes to mind it's basically or it's honestly everything we actually even give the users all the tools that we use to make this fun- to make these components because everything is so abstracted so we have a carousel component, but if you don't like it, we've given you the tools you can take an item group in a, in a window and connect them with a model, and you can make your own carousel in five minutes right and do it however you want to do it and I think that's honestly, what makes it so that, you know, everything's always extensible, everything always stacks up, it just makes it easier to compartmentalize and scope functionality, therefore, just making an overall better framework. Because, you know, touching on the chips you were talking about, you know, we provide a baseline visual style or functionality that says you don't have to configure anything, right? I think there's a certain wow factor to typing v-calendar and getting an entirely dependency-free customizable calendar, Google Calendar, right? I think that's a good wow factor. So whenever you know, you're, you're putting in uh, a regular select component and you just get to add a chips prop and it, it works, that's awesome, right? But there's also the people that, hey, I like your chip component, that's great, but I need to customize it. So because Vue has something called Scope Slots, which I believe there's something the same in React. In fact, it may even come from that. But what it allows us to do is say, okay, we have a default. We have a style associated with whatever parameters you've defined, right? So if you have a a select that you know has chips, and uh, those chips, you can delete them with your keyboard or whatever the case may be. All of those features that we apply to the element, for example, any accessibility or event listeners that make its functionality work, we pass those through and you can tap into a specialized slot. So we can say, again, here's all the values that we used to construct the default uh, presentation based upon whatever your selections were. If You have chips or you don't have chips or whatever the case may be. And then you can make it however you want. You can make it look however you want And then that way we don't have to have a billion customization options, which there are some instances, which (laughs) it's kind of like that. I think maybe two, but the idea is that if we have the ability to give you a slot to use a chip component, then we don't have to provide the ability to set all of the properties on the chip component. Like if you want something custom, like if you're saying, Hey, whenever they click on the chip, I want to be able to invoke some method. Well, we could add that as functionality within the component, or we can just say, this is our default. And if you want to change it, you can use a slot and you can do whatever you want. And then we don't even have to cover the use case. We just have to rely on the default support and functionality of the view slot. So
2: yeah. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer.
3: So yeah, so it's basically a good programming structure to have, you know, a base that you can tweak and modify a whole bunch of things or, or just the building blocks. Yeah, I use mix-ins quite a bit. And I always tend to think of a mix-in as just shareable code. You know, you're doing the same thing in multiple places. Here's one place to put it included in your component and you're off and running.
0: So yeah, that makes sense. Lindsay, do you have any questions? I mean, honestly, John, you've been answering all of my questions with what you've been saying in addition to Steve's questions. So I, I'll admit, I am one of the users that came to beautify looked at the size of the API for a single component, and panicked and walked away. <laughs> um, what, is, what is a recommended way for me to approach beautify Because I see the calendar, and that calendar is awesome. I'm, mm. I've seen the, the skeleton loader that came up on an episode a couple weeks back. That thing is really cool. I'd love to get into beautify and start using it in my application, but it's a lot that I feel like I have to wrap my mind around before I can even start putting things into a screen. Is there a a road, a path that you would
1: recommend for learning Vuetify as as a user gets into it? So one of the uh, unique opportunities that I get as a full-time open source developer, similar to someone as Evan Yu or Taylor Otwell that travel to conferences to talk, I get to travel to conferences to talk if I get selected. But then also because I have a business, well, because it's an open source project, And obviously, I still have a business, I can usually work with event organizers for us to be able to, you know, get a booth at the location for less than the cost of a, you know, a traditional company because, you know, obviously we're open source and, you know, those booths are expensive, you know, like $7,000 for a booth at some conferences. So it allows me to not only interact with a lot of developers, but when combined with a talk generally. I get to get quite a bit of feedback, and what I'm, what reason why I'm saying this is over the since November, I think at the beginning of November until the beginning of March, I had a three conference kind of circuit run. I did Canada or Toronto, excuse me, for ViewConf Toronto, and we did Amsterdam and then Austin, uh, Texas, which is consequently my state, which was awesome. But between those three conferences, you know, not only did I get to meet up with a lot of team members. That I've worked with online for so long, but I, I got to interact with you know hundreds and hundreds of beautify users. It's almost kind of overwhelming because I spend most of my time in a, in a 10 by ten room. But one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we received was a beginner's guide. and this is something that beautify has always kind of lacked and it's something that we heard quite commonly and that we started to put together whenever we um, we're in Austin, which is you know our final conference run. well, in this time, my fiance heather she uh, was really inspired by a lot of the women groups that existed not only in the view ecosystem but in the regular you know just coding industry in general, like women who code and whatnot and and then obviously view vixens for view. so she was kind of interested in you know she wanted to program and she also wanted to kind of have a collection collection that sounds bad but a group there you go a group of women who beautify is the name of the little organization that she's putting together because when we were in Austin in Amsterdam and Toronto we met so many you know passionate female developers who often you know didn't feel like they could contribute or didn't want you know were too nervous to approach to ask to work with the team and I'd always wanted and been trying to I love having a diverse team but we had no we had no women So luckily, Heather was very structured and adamant about putting together this movement. And we ended up meeting and being able to interact with just such a large amount of developers who were interested in the idea of, you know, having a a group gathering essentially of women who beautify. Anyways, in that process, we ended up particularly singling out two developers, Johanna and Vanessa. They are members of the View Vixens, very, very passionate developers, and were very interested in the beginner's guide which is something that we heard a lot of. So right now, that was kind of a long story to say that we have two main core members that are working on the guide who are also working with a large number of our contributors to put together an an expansive introduction guide for beginners to be able to uh, kind of ease into the process of of using Beautify. So that was the first thing that's coming up to, to help with you. But the second thing that's coming up, and this can kind of touch on really quick on the version two to version three process is that in in version three, one of the things that we have been discussing as a team is the reduction of total props by consolidating like functionality. And what I mean by that is, Beautify up until now has been a completely, or almost completely Boolean based property for components. And what I mean by that is, any functionality that we would enable as a true or false, like disabled this or you know you know read only for a text field or something like that, is activated with a boolean true property. So just like you would put an attribute on a regular element. Well, as the framework has grown and the API is large, we have, for example, one of our mixins is called measurable, and measurable has the properties to set you know min width, min height, height, and you know max variance of, of height and width. That's all it does. And it adds though, you know, multiple properties. And in, in the case of some functionality like that, it's really hard to kind of reduce it because they all have their own features and functionality. But if you take a component we call, uh, or mixin called sizable, which instead of having properties that are, are text-based, it has only Boolean properties for extra small, small, uh, large, extra large. And that's essentially four properties that the user has to to think about. Now, once you know them, it's great, but if you don't, it can be kind of daunting. So what we're doing is, and this is actually something we were discussing this morning, was talking about the sizable component. I actually have, I'll post you all a link. I don't know if you have any links that, that correspond with podcasts, but this is the pull request. For one of our version three features, size, which is from the sizeable we'll mix in. And you can see down in, in the comments, one of the things we've been doing for version three is defining our coding guidelines. My thought was if we can define everything, what it looks like in the framework to build it, then it's gonna be a lot easier to get contributors. And one of these guidelines that we recently updated were exclusive properties. And essentially it's in uh, enumeration or a, in a sense, a radio selection in the future. So as opposed to having, you know, extra small, small, large, there would be a property, for example, in this instance, is called density. And density would have, you know, three variants, normal, compact, and comfortable, right? And it would then transfer you know, in, in this case, in the examples, what I was saying as far as density, but in the case of the size component, you know, maybe it would be you know, extra small, large, extra large. But the concept is, is now those four extra properties get consolidated into one, and it becomes a little bit more manageable. Those two things combined with the beginner's guide, which we just did a complete documentation overhaul, and moved creation of pages from JSON structures to uh, Pug, that we compile down and it's very, very easy now to create pages because you're able to visually see a markup and then we just parse it all and output it in the way that we want. And so that's going to help more people that are even uh, of beginner levels to be able to contribute to the guide because that's really whose opinion I'm most interested in. So actually, if you want to get with me afterwards, I might, I'm might i very interested to to kind of hear some more of your thoughts on that. But with adding the guide and reducing prop uh, complexity, I think that it's going to shore up majority of, of, of kind of like the, oh my goodness, issues. Now, something like calendar, that's challenging, right? So what we end up doing usually is we always try to find real world scenarios that's usually the best. I love having real world, uh, real world scenario examples, which I think is one of one of our big uh, pros on the documentation. But also, there may be use cases that we're not aware of yet, right? So we often rely with a user saying, "Hey, I've got the calendar, but this particular functionality isn't working, and I can't figure out how to make it work." Well, maybe we can just make a better example or update an existing one or uh, maybe add an alert or maybe some information regarding that on the page. And incrementally, you know, which is what we're working on right now, we can kind of shore up some of the uh, more complex components because, you know, Calendar is going to have tons of props. We'll never be able to get rid of it. But we can probably do a better way of consolidating props into some, some categories and then also improving the quality of our examples and documentation, which, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer of there's always room for improvement, so I mean, I absolutely love working on the dogs. Awesome, thank you. And yes, I
0: would, I would love to talk afterwards. Anything I can
1: do to help out with that, I'd love to. Yeah.
0: So continuing along what you were just talking about, we were talking that you two
3: has been stable version for a while, and you're working on three. Mm-hmm. So where are things at in the the version three release process, and what are some of the major highlights other than what you've already talked about? that we'll see in beautify version three.
1: So this is the awesome part and I'll still touch on it, but one of the really amazing parts about the notion.beautifyjs.com is uh, you can actually go in and look at our development epic. And what I did was I broke up all the tasks, at least as I saw them for the components and the mix-ins and kind of created a critical path of development in three phases where People can. it's easy for people to pick tasks they want to work on. They know what those tasks depend on, and it just gives us a very structured path forward. With that being said, due to kind of everything going on, obviously, a lot of people have had to drastically alter their situations based upon circumstances. And even in general, I never, ever expect the developers that contribute to de- contribute. It's never like, if you can, don't contribute once a month, you know, you're gone. <laughs> nothing like that and even in general people's attention waxes and wanes over the you know over the course of the year and right now is also just generally a particularly busy time of the year because of tax season and things like that we generally uh, don't have as much contribution so with all of that you know combining together uh, we haven't made very much progress on that front as far as reviews we have a lot of prs that are waiting to go and it's going to essentially just be getting down to like a day or two where we can grind through a couple of the remaining features and functionality because the whole core of the framework is based off of those mixins, which are now going to be called effects. And I won't, te- I won't go into the, the technical aspect of them because it, I, I think it's hard to explain code, but in a nutshell, as opposed to passing in a mixin, in in which its uh, functionality is obfuscated. Can't believe I said that word right. And when you're looking in the component, Unless you have TypeScript set up, which we do, but we have to do it kind of hackily because TypeScripts on prototypical objects or TypeScript uh, um, typings on prototypical objects are really difficult. There are some limitations that we face because of it. But for everyone else, it's really difficult to know where that functionality comes from, right? If a mixin adds a new data property called isActive, how do you know that it has isActive? What the Composition API aims to solve, and this is what we're moving to as well, is instead of importing the mixin, the mixin's functionality would be within a pure function, to my knowledge, and I'm gonna to have to look this up as the definitions, I don't wanna sound like an idiot, but yeah, pure function is a function where the return value is only determined by its input values. So there's no outside scope, right? You give it, for example, a function, you would give it all of the properties that it needs, and then it would, based upon what those properties are, it would return a value. So it is in you know immutable. It's going to only return you know, based upon the options that you give it. And then you take the view reactivity system and hook it in. And you instead of putting in a mix in, you have a, a method that says maybe, for example, the elevation, as opposed to putting in a mix in and then referencing a computed property that's created. In uh, the instance, it would be, what was that one? Size classes or size measurable classes or measurable styles or whatever the case may be instead of uh, putting that mixin in there and getting access to that property that you can't see where it comes from, instead you'll be importing a a function that will be something along the the lines of, you know, use size effect, something along those lines. So you have a specific function that's uh, imported. Functions are infinitely easier to add typings for. And then you can explicitly see the functionality. And in fact, because we're forced to break all of our, our features out into a you know pure functions, not only does it help us figure out interesting things along the way that help make it better, but it, it also makes it easier to maintain the framework because you know where information's coming from. And now we're just writing tests for individual functions. So I think for the the size effect, I think that it had, like in this instance, you know it has you know the large, small, extra large, and extra small, and all of its effects are is it has a list of properties that we say that it can have, and then it's got it's got one method. It's called use size classes, and all it does is take in a, a props object, which is the props that it's essentially. If you're used to Vue two, it'd be this dollar props, but there is no this context in version three. But they just pass you all the props that the user passed a given, and then we pass those props to this pure function and it looks in and then it says, okay, it's gonna look at the props and determine some logic based upon that. It'll create, you know, computed property or a data variable. And then it's gonna return an object that contains whatever uh, we're passing back. And because of Vue's reactivity system, now whenever we deconstruct that object from the method, we have a reactive property that not only can we interact with, but we can also know where it comes from. So yeah. That's one of the biggest things in version 3. Uh, we have a lot of other things on the table. We're working on an RFC process, which is also in that Notion board, where we have quite a few RFCs already up, and we, we're, we're working on the process because it's a little bit different for a component library as opposed to a, a very, like, as view as a whole, It is just considerably smaller and, and more focused, so functionality, and then also it's much larger. But functionality is much more scrutinized, whereas in the component framework you know we may add a feature to you know the messages component it doesn't require needing to confirm with the community if that's okay so but being able to have those functions is probably you know again one of the biggest things being able to go through and and analyze how we do things with our prs they're, they're gone over by you know over 20 30 people to try to see how we can you know develop the best practices and then when we do that, we write it down and we put it in our coding guidelines and then at least I never have to think about it again. So if, <laughs> if it's like, hey, how is this done? Well, let's see how, you know, we say it's done and if it's we don't have something down, then we write it. That's another big thing for version three is it's not only going to have 100% coverage out of the gate, it's completely being rebuilt from the ground up using the composition API. And we are, like I said, I... I I get to work with some of the smartest people that I've ever, like, you ever known someone that's so smart that you just don't even try to argue with them, right? So, you know, someone like Kale, who is just, you know, infinitely smart. And, you know, if he says something's dumb, you know, then I'm probably going to listen, right? I'm not going to be like, well, I, I know more than you. And same thing with all the other developers working with each other, we have a very critical of, of making sure that we're doing things is not only as efficiently as possible, but as concisely as possible. And, Anyways, what that's leading to is the fact that not only we're going to have a completely built from the ground up version uh, three using the Vue 3 Composition API, but 100 percent unit testing out of the gate. We, I don't know what percentage, but the, the goal is obviously to have E2E testing as well. It's also starting the process for eventually one day, uh, anytime soon, But material design will simply be a theme option for the core Vutify functionality, and you'll be able to plug in a theme that someone creates, and then instantly you have all of the benefits of Vutify with your own custom skin. You can already do that a little bit right now with some functionality release in version 2.2, but version 3 is kind of setting up the the final stages of pulling out uh, the material design style so that the last great complaint, one of the last big complaints of Utify can be solved in that it's not just material. Yeah, those are some of the biggest things for, for version three. We have new components that we have planned. We haven't necessarily decided which ones those are going to be. We do have a list. We're, you know, again, scrutinizing that and, and determining you know how we're going to style them. Obviously, there are components that we have that don't exist within the material design spec. So we have to lend to... Like functionality and styling to determine the best way to do something. For example, we, you know, were supposed to have a V file upload component, but at the last minute had to put it on hold and create a V file input component, which was essentially just a text field file input on steroids. But because we couldn't decide on a design that not only wasn't super opinionated but was very flexible and didn't. Uh, basically, tell the user too much of, of what they have to do. So yeah. you know, we had deposit, and we're going to come back to it. And you know, that's one thing we're definitely okay with doing. And same thing with version three. We say you know everything is subject to change because I know there's companies that will you know, try to rush out features. You know, they're behind the bolt, they're behind the gun. You know, if something isn't ready, we pull it. You know, version two data table virtual tables weren't in a good state. You know, we pulled it. What what that does is that mentality again is just kind of feeding into, we're refining a process um, of development that is going to ensure that basically once we rebuild version three, this should be the last time in a long time we should have to rebuild the framework from the ground up because I think this is like, I don't know, number four or five at this point. So yeah, and then obviously you know keep in touch, watching the Beautify docs and the newsletter and whatnot. And we have updates every couple of weeks on like the progress and things that we're working on. You know, now that I'm back from all the conferences, you know, and being able to dive in, hopefully there's gonna be a lot more progress on version three scene. And then also we have a surprise minor release 2.3 that originally we weren't gonna do, that's gonna come out with some pretty cool quality of life features for users that we're really excited for. Yeah, there's just lots of really cool stuff on the horizon. We've got years of content (laughs) ready to, to do for the framework. So yeah, I'm really excited. Cool. So
3: we're hitting up against time limits here, but real quick, you've mentioned a couple of times that, you know, this is what you work on full time and being open source, obviously there's, that's always an interesting mix. So I'm curious if you could just talk real briefly about your business model, the different ways that you bring in income and how it's distributed and, and so on, or as much as you
1: want to talk about. No, sure. Yeah, I'll try to make it as as brief as possible. I know I can run on. So the answer is a couple different ways. We have advertising revenue, obviously, because we have lots of uh, views on the site. We have sponsorships on GitHub Sponsors and Patreon. Uh, which they're essentially the same. They're just different platforms as far as the features that we offer. The same, uh, but it allows individuals up to you know companies or whoever, honestly, to sponsor the project and also receive you know some perks and benefits for supporting the project beyond just supporting OSS. So that's one avenue. We have the Beautify Store, which is you know uh, besides the themes, which I, I love building, all of the, <laughs> all of the shirts and the gear and stuff like that are things that I've wanted. So whenever. Uh, we bought them from the manufacturer. We get an extra one. We're like, I oh, we'll just put it on the store. And if somebody wants to buy the backpack that you know you liked, then hey, we sold a backpack. So we have the store, and then I do uh, consulting. I have uh, the ability in the docs. Users can go in and they can schedule time with me. And very soon, other develop, other members of our core team are going to be up there as well. So you know, they'll be up there with their own prices and their own times and everything else. Maybe their own, you know, special strengths. I, I don't really care. But they'll be up there soon and and hopefully that'll be something that'll help them. But again, bringing more people in means more people that are in consulting network and maybe they go to different people, maybe they come to us. So consulting is a big factor in that. And sometimes like some one-off, like maybe we do something with a company and it's like Black Friday or something. But other than that, it's just, uh, that's it. And that's all the income. So, and especially right now with coronavirus, it's real, it's real tricky. That's why I started working on a new theme that I just released because I was like, well, you know, we have some sponsors that are, you know, understandably having to pull out. A sponsorship is probably the first to go, obviously, whenever companies are tied on cash, which I completely understand. So I was like, well, people are at home. You know, I love building themes. I learned a lot of new stuff. In fact, a lot of the new features that Come into beautify or quality of life changes come from me building a theme or an app and get pissed off <laughs> at something that I don't like, and then I'll write it down and go fix it so it's actually really beneficial for the users, but also it's something that you know I personally think is you know a really good quality. I care a lot about quality and it allows me to you know not only continue to hone my craft and my own framework but also to offer something of value to hopefully you know pick up for the <laughs> the otherwise trying times but yeah that's you know i'm I'm always trying to figure out new ways to not only crack open source but to be able to provide value to people, and then obviously, if that value is enough, then monetary income for it so awesome,
0: awesome well, thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much, John, for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. That was a a lot of me talking. It's okay. It was a lot of great information. Really happy you could join us. Is there any way that you would like people to reach out to you if they want to learn more directly talking to you? Do you have a social
1: media presence? I do. So if they want to interact directly with me, I have a Twitter, at ZeroSkills, but probably going to be hard to spell. Z-E-R-O-S-K-I-L-L-Z. Probably the easiest way to get a hold of me other than that would be through Discord, which is our community. And that's just at uh, community.beautifyjs.com. It'll uh, redirect you to... in. A discord invite for our server and then uh, you'll see me on the on the user list it's like a regular chat room but at the top you know feel free to message me at any point in time you can talk to me in the chat and email me at john at beautifyjs.com honestly i just love hearing from people so if you reach out to me reddit's another one we have uh, a BeautifyJS js subreddit you know any of those places that are comfortable mediums for users, uh, at any point in time, feel free to reach out and, and you're definitely going to get a response. Awesome. Thank you. Make sure we get those in the show notes.
2: Are you freelancing or moolining? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of a freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com.
0: At this point, we will move into our picks for the week. For those who are new listening, we all pick something that we, are, we like. It doesn't have to be related to programming or computers in any way. It's just something that we're interested in. we like to share it with you. So Steve, would you like to start us off with picks?
3: Sure. So I'll share... A video that I came across yesterday or day before. It's a YouTube video and it's by a group called 1026 Music Group. It's a really, really awesome acapella rendition of a classic Kim called It Is Well With My Soul. And the cool thing about it is that it was done with everybody separately over their cell phones. So they recorded everything separately. And then obviously there was a ton of editing and synchronization work that went into putting it together. But when it comes out, it's, it's, It's beautiful. It's just amazing to listen to. Just listen to it. You can listen to it over and over. There's a story behind the hymn. Real briefly, there was a famous lawyer in Chicago in 1870s. Had a lot of real estate holdings. Everything is wiped out by the Chicago fire that took. That was started by Mrs. O'Leary's cow, I believe. And then he had a four-year-old son die of scarlet fever. Then he's recovering from that. His wife and four daughters are sailing on a ship to go over to Europe for a vacation. They get ran by another ship. All four of his daughters die. And as he's going sailing over to meet up with his wife, as he's sailing over the spot where the ship sank, he writes this song called It Is Well With My Soul. So it's really powerful him. And the rendition itself is, is really amazing to listen to.
1: Thank right. you. John, do you have a pick you'd like to share with us? Sure. Funnily enough, since I started out not designing, I, over time, moved in to designing very recently, and worked in Photoshop, worked in Illustrator, but then came across Figma. This is my, my new favorite toy right now. Very easy to work it with, and you know, UI that whenever you do something, it just works, is usually the best UI. It's been really fun to work with, and other than that, maybe another one would be, real quick, is a Vuex ORM, which is a plugin for a Vuex plugin that for Vue that allows you to Write UX models in the traditional, like you're working with an ORM. So those are the 2 i yeah. I've seen that.
0: I have an article open in a tab on my phone that I've been meaning to read about that.
1: Privilege of meeting the author in uh, Amsterdam. His name is Kai, and I also had the privilege of meeting Dave, who is an author of one of the other popular UX plugins, which is Vuex Pathify, which is also a really good library. But yeah, really great people. Cool. Thank you.
0: So I have two picks today. One is a follow up. I think from last, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, I had picked monoprice.com as my pick because they had really good quality cables and i had found a standing desk that I was able to order for myself. At the time I had said it's supposed to arrive in a week or two, it came in two days, even with everything going on with coronavirus in the world. So we've got that set up. I've been using it for a week at this point. It is a wonderful standing desk. I highly recommend it. If you need something, it's small, So it doesn't take up a ton of space. It's uh, sitting in between my living room and my kitchen. So I'm going to link that in the show notes. My other pick is an article I found. I've been following the CEO of Basecamp who's been complaining about Zoom recently, among other things. (laughs) Yeah. And and he linked an article that, I don't know if he wrote it or someone at his team wrote it, but the Basecamp Guide to Internal Communication. And it's a list of rules that they try to follow inside of Basecamp. And if anyone has any interest in learning about remote work, Basecamp has literally written a book about it, which is excellent. I listened to an audio version. So the Basecamp Guide to Internal Communication is my second pick today. All right. So hope you all enjoyed the show today. John, once again, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I really had a lot of fun. Me too.
0: If you would like to learn more about Views on View, you can find us at viewsonview.com or devchat.tv. Uh, we're also on Twitter at ViewsOnView. You can find me at Yagabush. That will be in the show notes. And you can find Steve at Wonder95. Thank you for joining us. Hope you have a good week. You too. Thank you. Adios.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.